Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to the Gospel of John. We're going to start in chapter 13 and look at two verses there, and then we're going to move to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and, and look at a few verses there. As you know, we've started out this year by reviewing our purpose statement, which we say every week, but oftentimes it's easy to forget what our purpose statement is and, and what it's about, even though we hopefully haven't memorized at this church at this point that Crossroads Church exists to bring glory to God by making gospel disciples and sharing the love of Christ with our community and our world. And today we're, we're going to talk about this act of, of sharing love. What, what does that actually mean? And, and today the title of the sermon is Love Applied. What does it actually mean to say that we love someone and then actually take the steps of loving them. And, and what does it mean that God says that, that He loves us? What steps did He take that we actually get to see His love for us? Here's the thesis statement for this week. Here's the main idea of this series with this particular passage tied in. Here's the thesis statement for you. We are to be committed to glorifying God as the people of God, because He is worthy to be glorified. As both the church gathered and the church scattered, we are to have an outward proclamation and an inward meditation of the gospel. This should lead to being a disciple who makes disciples of all nations. As disciples of Christ, we are to be known by our love for each other and how the love of Christ controls our life. So we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about that last sentence. As disciples of Christ, we are to be known by our love for each other and how the love of Christ controls our life. And, and as the purpose or the thesis statement says, we want to think about love and its application in two forms, the church gathered and the church scattered. Now, just to clarify and, and remind you, the church is not a, a building. This is not the church. This building here is not the church. We as believers in Jesus Christ are the church. That means that you are the church, and that every believer is part of what's called the universal church. The church is made up of believers all around the world. There's only one universal church. But inside of, inside of the larger universal church, there are individual local churches. So the, the, there's the universal church, but there's also local churches. And we've gathered today as the local church. Those are, the local church are covenant members who've agreed together uh, in relationship as members of the church to encourage each other to love and good works and, and hold each other accountable for doing so. So, but we want to, for our purpose today, think about love being applied in two forms. 
the church gathered and the church scattered. Since we are the church, since you are the church, we never stop being the church. So even when we adjourn in a few minutes and and you leave here, you're still the church. And so wherever you go, you are the church in those locations that you find yourself. And so we want to think about love applied as the church gathered, what that looks like when we're together as the gathered church, but also what it means to have your love applied when you're the church scattered. When you leave here and go other places, what does it look like to live in the love of Christ? And let me suggest this to you just by way of clarification. Because the the world has defined love in some very specific ways, but very unbiblical ways. Love, in the world's terms, has been defined as a feeling or, or maybe even relationship, physical relationship between men and women. But the Bible describes love in a much different way, that love is an action word that is based around commitment. And and here's what I mean by this. This is what I'm trying to get at. If I were to tell my family that I love them, but I never show it to them, what does that mean? Does that mean that I love them? It doesn't. To say that I love them and then to not show them that I love them doesn't work together under the biblical definition of love. If love is an action word that's based on my commitment to my family for me to say that I love them and then never show them that I love them, it doesn't match up. Like if I told them that I love them, but then I live in a totally different house, And I don't do anything to help provide for their needs. I don't speak to them. And when someone asks if I have a family, I tell them no. Then guess what? No matter how much I tell my family I love them, I don't actually love them. Love is an action word that needs expressed in tangible ways. What we're going to find from our text today is that the church gathered should be known and defined by love. That love should be something that the world around us knows us for. And so with that in your mind, I want to invite you to stand at this time. We're going to go ahead and read both passages. Uh, So I want to ask you to stand for a reading from the Word of God. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now hold your finger in that passage. We're going to come right back to it. Flip over really quickly to 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Remember, we're to be defined, the outside world is supposed to know us by love. So let's look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, starting in verse 14. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us, 
Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. If we go back to the Gospel of John in verse 15, or chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, what we see there is what I've already mentioned, that the church gathered should be known and defined by love. What does that mean? What that means is that Jesus' love for us becomes the motivation of our love for each other. So then the question begs itself then, what does it actually mean to love each other like Christ loved us? If Christ's love is the motivation for us to love each other, then what does it actually look like to love each other like Christ loves us? Well, let me suggest to you there's two things that we need to think about this. Number one, Christ's love applied will cost us something. Christ's love applied will cost us something. Jesus says in these verses, just as I have loved you. Now, at this point, how do they know the love of Christ expressed? Let me say it happened in two ways. It cost Christ in two things. First, he stepped down from glory. If you remember, Christ is God. John's gospel starts with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that tells us that Jesus Christ is God, which means he dwelt in heaven with God. And so what it cost Jesus to come down to earth to be with us is that he had to leave the glories of heaven. He had to leave all the majesty of heaven and come down to earth to be with us. The first way that we see that, that Christ loved us in the Scriptures is that He descends from heaven to take on humanly flesh to be with us as Emmanuel, God with us. It cost Christ something. But second, and what they will learn later, is it in fact cost Christ His life. The way that Christ shows his love for us, the standard that he's setting here when he says, love each other as I have loved you, is a standard and a price that seems almost too great to bear. That Christ came down from glory, united himself with humanity, and went all the way to the cross to show his love for us. Many people think that the cross is a, a sign of punishment and in fact, in some ways that it was. But for us as Christians, the cross is actually a picture of love, that Christ loved us so much that he would give his very life for us. 
And so let me say to you, the standard that Christ is setting here is that love cost him something. And if loving us cost Christ that much, then loving others will cost us something as well. And I'm not saying that, that you should die for someone else. I'm not suggesting that your life will need to be sacrificed for something else. But in some sense, it might need to be. Because oftentimes, the very things that we live for are the things that we need to give away to love others well. We're going to say much more about this in terms of understanding the world through fleshly eyes, but right now, the world says the things that we're supposed to live for are money, power, and fame. Or maybe the better way of putting it this way, the way that I think about it is time, my time, my money, and my plans. My time, my money, and my plans. And brothers and sisters, if we're to live as Jesus Christ did, we have to recognize that, that my time and my money and my plans may need to be sacrificed to do what Christ calls us to do. That I may need to be willing to give up some portion of these things in order to love as Christ's love. Here's the, here's the second part of, of Christ's love applied. Christ's love isn't only applied to those we like. Did you guys know there's a dirty secret about church? Did you know that not everybody in church likes each other? Did you know that? Don't tell anybody that. But not everybody here in this room likes each other. There are times in which you probably don't like me, which might be right now. But listen, here's how we have to think about this. This passage doesn't say, love those that you like. This passage says, love others as I have loved you. What does that mean? Think about it with me. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. This is what it says. For why will, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The picture that's being painted here in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, is a group of people, which was all of us, who are diametrically opposed to God. We were not living according to his plan. We did not love him. We were not lovable. Did you, did you guys know that, too, that, that you're not lovable all the time? Did you know that? You can ask my wife and kids. I'm not lovable all the time. Yesterday, I was a big baby. Uh, I actually, many of you know, we started doing uh, jiu-jitsu, Logan and I, together. And I'm pretty sure that our coach yesterday was trying to kill us. Do, do you guys know what a burpee is? Do you know what, if you don't know what a burpee is and you've never had to do one, God bless you, I hope that you never learn. But a burpee is this exercise that they use to torture people, like in gym and, and jiu-jitsu. Well, our instructor decided it'd be a good idea for all of us to do 40 burpees as fast as we can. Now, do I look like I should be doing 40 burpees to you all? Maybe, yes, the answer is yes, I should be. But I thought I was gonna die 
I thought that I was going to fall over dead. And so all day yesterday, everyone had to hear about how sore and painful I was. I wasn't being very lovable. I was being a, a complaining baby for most of the day. But listen, what we were when Christ died for us was more than just a person who was kind of unlovable. We were the enemies of God. We were diametrically and aggressively opposed to everything that he was about. But listen to the rest of these verses in Romans chapter 5. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, this should in some way expand the understanding that, it, that we have about what it means to love others as Christ loved us. That means that we're called in the love of Christ to love each other, even if we don't like each other. There are going to be people who are part of the body of Christ that for whatever reason, we don't like them. But the example of the love of Christ is that we love those that he loves and gave his, his life for. Here's the question. How could we not love the ones that Christ gave his life for? Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Christ gave his life for you. He died for you. He loves you so much that he declared his love for you on the cross of Calvary. That should push us, that should promote us to love the things that Christ loves, which is the children that he died for and redeemed. You see, the call here isn't to wait for someone to love you, but for us to look for and seek out opportunities to love the other people around us. The example of Christ is to love, knowing that you will never be repaid in the same way or to the same amount that you have loved someone else. Christ's love applied to us encourages us to apply it to people that we may not even like. But here's the question. I, we, I talked before about the church gathered and the church scattered, and how the church gathered at, by actually putting the gospel on display, that when we gather on Sundays, we're actually making the gospel visible to the world around us. And so then, then the question has to be asked, how does applying Christ's love make the gospel visible? Let me suggest to you the first way that that happens is Christ's love applied is countercultural, And you don't have to go on social media for very long or listen to the news for very long to know that the current tone of the day is anything but love. The current tone of the day is hate and division. And the world is actively trying to encourage us to be divided. And if we love each other in the church as Christ loved us, the world won't know what to think about us. They won't know what to do with people who don't really have any other reason to be together other than the love of Christ, who love each other in a way that they can't even comprehend. Listen to these words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This text is reminding us, just like John 13 is reminding us, that the church is meant to stand out in a culture where everyone is only seeking their own good. Inside of the church, the goal is to seek the good of others by loving them as the Scriptures call us to do. The church then, in effect, shines as a beacon of love and hope as we love each other as Christ calls us to. Again, the love of Christ applied is counter-cultural. But also, what happens inside of the church when we love each other as Christ loves us, the love of Christ applied actually points back to Christ. If you just turn, or it's probably on the same page, uh, of your Bible. In John 14, verse 7, we're going to look at that for a moment, but if you look at John 13, 35, it says, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. In just a few verses later, in John chapter 14, verse 7, Jesus himself says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, when we see Jesus, we see God the Father. And what this text reminds us is the way that the world knows that we're followers of Jesus Christ is by the love that we have for each other. You see, this whole text of what's happening here is all about the glory of God being on display, pointing the world back to Jesus Christ as we love each other as the church of Jesus Christ. Even in just the previous verses of, of John 13, starting in verse 31, Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. This is the foundation for this whole passage of why believers would love each other as Christ has loved them. It's all for the glory of God to point people back to God. The point of loving each other as Christ has loved us is to reveal the love of Christ, to point them back to God and in which he is glorified. It's, it's the cycle of love that is meant to happen. Now, this is the foundation for this idea of loving our community and our, our world. The foundation for loving our community and loving our world is the love of Christ that we know through the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now, what then does it mean to love as Christ's love? What has he actually called us to do in, in love? Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. starting in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14.
You've heard me say this phrase several times. Hopefully you remember it. But if the, the love of Christ calls us to action, it calls us to action not just both together as the church gathered, but also as the church scattered. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what we find is that the love of Christ calls us into a particular ministry. And what Paul calls it is the ministry of reconciliation. So the love of Christ calls us as the church gathered, but also as the church scattered into a reconciling ministry of love. Here's what that means. Internal meditation on the love of Christ will motivate the outward proclamation of the reconciling ministry of love. Now, how does that look in our everyday life? Look at verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ controls us. This literally means that the love of Christ restrains our words and actions. Anyone else have a problem saying things that you regret after you say them? Just me? I'm the only one? All of us? Have you ever done something and the instant that you do it, you regret it? This morning, even, probably. What happens in this love of Christ that he imbues to us is that that love actually controls and constrains us that as we grow as believers, as we grow in the love of Christ, our words and our actions become more controlled by the love of Christ to express the love of Christ and point people back to God. So, this love of Christ is meant to restrict us and control us in a certain way. It's almost like the love of Christ is a, a box in which protects us and protects the glory of Christ. The, the love of Christ is meant to be a protection for us. And, and I know in this day and age, the world is telling us that we need to cast off any restrictions, that, that, that anything that would define us or control us, that needs to be thrown out. But this passage actually tells us that the love of Christ constraining us is something that we should desire. It's something that we should want. And I, I'm thankful for that. Uh, I've heard a lot of uh, talk recently about intrusive thoughts. Have you guys heard this phrase about controlling your intrusive thoughts? Like, I'll tell you what mine is. When someone cuts me off on, it seems like it always happens on the wanta, I wonder what it would feel like to run into the side of them and push them into the bridge. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay, a few of us. Good. The love of Christ controls me to not do that. Or how about at work? Anybody else have a coworker? Actually, I can't say this because I don't have a coworker I want to tell off. Peter is the only one who's here every day, and I kind of like him. So, but in a previous job, there was always a coworker that I had that I wanted to give them a piece of my mind. Anybody else? Maybe it's everybody at your workplace. I don't know. But brothers and sisters, if we understand the love of Christ, and, and here's the way that I've thought about this. 
Jesus Christ walked here on earth with us, and he interacted with us as sinful people, and he had the power to obliterate all of us at any second. And yet he didn't. He was controlled by the love of the Father to accomplish the will of the Father to the glory of the Father, so he submits himself to being around believers that const- or unbelievers that constantly insult him and demean him. And instead, he loves them. And now that's what he calls us to do in this ministry of reconciliation by the power of his love. Did you know if it was up to us that we would run away from the love of Christ? That in our unregenerate state as unbelievers, we didn't actually want the love of Christ? For those of us that were saved later in life, didn't you love your sin before you met Jesus Christ? I loved sinning. And then I met Jesus Christ, and I found out how wicked that was and how much more uh, love I could experience in Jesus Christ than doing the things I thought was right. You see, the way that we live the restraining power, or the way that we live for the glory of Christ, is by the power of the love of Christ constraining us to do what God has called us to do. Did you know that this is probably going to make us look crazy to the world? That if we love each other like we're supposed to, and we love people in the world, they're going to think we're a bunch of weirdos. They called Paul that. Look in verse 13 of Romans chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are in our right minds, it is for you. Paul is talking about this ministry of reconciliation to the glory of God in loving God and loving others in such an extreme way that the world thinks that he's crazy. But instead, we, instead of caring about what people think about us or how we'll be perceived, we need to let the love of Christ control our words and actions to do what he's called us to do. Because here's the reality of everything. This is where this text goes. Everyone is going to die. Everyone. Kids, you might not think you're going to because you're young and you're healthy you don't, your back doesn't hurt, your knees don't hurt, you feel good, but you're going to die. Everyone is going to die. And I'd like to think that, that I can cheat death. I'd like to think that death is not going to catch up with me. One of my favorite stories about this is uh, a lady named Elizabeth Sullivan. She died at the age of 106. 106 years old. Do you know what she said allowed her to live that long? Three Dr. Peppers a day. Now, here's one of the, the quotes. I love this. Every doctor that sees me says they'll kill you, talking about Dr. Pepper, but they die and I don't. So there must be a mistake somewhere. You see, the only conclusion that this particular article that I was reading could come up with to, as to why she was drinking three Dr. Peppers a day and lived, she actually lived to be 106 years old, 
was that she must be the lucky one among us. But there is no one who is so lucky that they will cheat death completely. Every one of our days is numbered and it's numbered by God, and you are going to die. Even Jesus died. And thank God that he did. But that he didn't stay dead, that he was resurrected on the third day. But see, the, the idea here in verse 15, the idea of he died, is this idea of instead. Because of the curse of sin that was passed on to us by Adam, the curse of sin mandated that all of us must die. But instead of all of us dying permanently and eternally, Jesus Christ died in our place. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 makes this clear. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Christ died so that we don't have to die spiritually or eternally. But here's what this passage is getting at. Everyone is going to die, but not everyone is going to live. You see, the vast majority of the people in the world today are like the walking dead. They, they think they're living a great life when they're actually really marching to their eternal death. And they're actually living the, the worst kind of life that they could live. You see, Adam, think about it this way. Adam was created to live the perfect human life. He was created in a world with no sin and a perfect garden where all the food was provided and he was giving a perfect command. He was created in a world where he could potentially perfectly do the will of, of God, but he doesn't. He sins and plunges the whole world in sin. So there has to be a second Adam that comes along to complete God's perfect design, that he would live a, a perfect life, that he would live exactly as God deemed the human life to be lived, free of sin, free of hate, only filled with love, and perfectly keeping the will of the Father. So Jesus is, in fact, the pinnacle of human existence. To live your best life is to live as Jesus lived. Jesus is exactly how God created us to be, except we couldn't on our own keep his law. To live differently than Jesus is to live a, a subhuman existence. And if we were to continue on the same sinful path that we're on now, we would live a subhuman existence. And then we would die, and then we would spend eternity separated from God because of our sin. But, but, because Jesus Christ lived the perfect, sinless human life and died in our place, now we can truly live. 
and those who receive salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone, the ones that live, live because Christ died for them. And since he died for them, they will live for him. Now, what does it mean to live for him? This text tells us in verse 16 that the reconciling ministry of love causes us to see people differently. And this goes back to those that we like, those who need love ministered to them. But this is the conclusion that Paul comes to. The conclusion that Paul's come to after he comes face to face with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the conclusion is that we should see people as more than just mortal flesh and blood. That instead, we should see people as eternal beings. And that we shouldn't just look at people according to fleshly, worldly knowledge. And Paul actually hates worldly knowledge. Not in the sense of what we can see, but in the sense of how the world wants us to see people. You understand that the world wants us to look at each other and see all the reasons as to why we shouldn't love each other. You understand everything around us wants us to be divided. It wants us to be divided by, by ethnic group. It wants us to be divided by socioeconomic status. It wants us to be divided by any number of reasons. That is what the world is after. And instead, as Christians, we need to look past those issues and see the person as an eternal being created in the image and likeness of God and hear the ministry of reconciliation and love and choose to love each other even though the world wants to divide us. You see, even when in the past we looked at Jesus, there were times when we were tempted to think that he was just a man. But his fleshly resurrection and eternal life in heaven changed all that. He's not just a man, but he is God, and his resurrection gives us hope for eternity as well. So we must not see each person according to what we can actually just see with our eyes, but what we can't see. Namely, that each person is, eternal, is an eternal being created in the image and likeness of God, a being that will spend eternity somewhere. Everyone is either going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And we must choose to love each other as the church gathered, and then the people in our communities as the church gather, are scattered to show off the love of Christ so that they would know the saving power of the gospel and be redeemed from their sin in eternity in hell. But the reconciling ministry of love affects us first. It causes us to be something new and to live for something new. Look at verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ descending from heaven and joining himself to humanity, then living the perfect life, dying and being resurrected, he joined himself to us so that we have union with Christ. And this is why we talk about Christ living in us, because he actually is unified with us and we're unified with him. And this union with Christ, according to Paul in, in 2 Corinthians, has caused a radical change in us. It has caused a dynamic change in us. It says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
that the old was our sin nature, that we were sinners detached and distant from God. And in the new creation, He saves us, He takes our sin, He takes away our sin nature and moves us from sinners to saints. He changes us at the very nature of who you are, so much so that I have stopped calling myself a sinner because by nature, I am no longer a sinner. I am a saint now. That doesn't mean that I don't struggle with sin in the flesh, but I have been created into something new. I have been moved from being an old, sinful, by nature sinful person into a redeemed, blood-bought, loving saint of Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've made that transition as well. You've moved from the old, sinful, fleshly person to the new, redeemed believer in Jesus Christ. And because of this transition, we are no longer bound by sin. Now, now this is huge when we think about fighting sin in your own life. That in our old nature, in our sin nature, you were completely given to sin. That's all you wanted to do. That's all you knew. But now, as a new creation in Jesus Christ, you do not have to give in to sin anymore. Sin does not own you. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. He has made you new. And so those sins that you've struggled with for years and years, those sins that linger from when you, before you were saved, you can have victory over those sins because you're new in Jesus Christ. And because you're something new in Jesus Christ, you live for something new. We've been freed from sin to live for Christ, to live holy lives for Him. Verse 18 tells us this is all from God. You see, the ministry of reconciliation has always been and will always be done by God. He is the one who reconciled us to himself. We did not reconcile ourselves to him. But two things this passage tells us that being a new creation does for us. One, it reconciles us to God. It moves us from functional enemy of God to child of God. And it changes the very enmity that God had against us. And then on top of that, the second thing that it does, it gives us the life and the duty of announcing this reconciliation. It restores us into relationship with God and then it commissions us to do the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, in a very glorious way, tells us how this happened. How were we reconciled to God, and how were we transitioned into this ministry of reconciliation? Verse 19 says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Listen to these words. This should make your heart sing, not counting their trespasses against them. Brothers and sisters, all the ways in which we transgress law, God's law in Jesus Christ are no longer counted against us. It's this process of almost like changing accounts. 
in our pre-Christ state, our account only contained sin and hate and vileness. And in Jesus Christ, we exchange that account for an account filled with righteousness and holiness. Christ imputes to us, He gives to us, He exchanges accounts with us and gives us His righteousness. That is the only way that we could be reconciled to God. But listen to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You see, the outcome of all this for our lives is that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are now the ambassadors of a foreign nation. We, we don't actually belong here. This is not where we belong. We belong in heaven with God for eternity. But while we're here, God has a plan for us, and that is to be the ambassadors of His kingdom, to be ambassadors of the heavenly realm in which we will dwell for all eternity. That means if you are a Christian, God has chosen you to represent Him in this world. Now, when you think about how deficient you are, how many times you fall short in living the Christian life, understand that God already chose you to be His representative in this world, that God wants you to reveal His glory and the love of Jesus Christ to the world around you. He wants us to represent Him in love, declaring the ministry of reconciliation. And how we live and what we say is intended by God to represent the embassy of heaven. If you love your job, hate your job, don't enjoy going to school, enjoy going to school, don't appreciate or appreciate your station in life, but especially if you don't enjoy any of those things. Think about the glorious purpose that God has for your life as being the ambassador of heaven. That means that when we leave the church gathered and we become the church scattered, that we represent Christ and the glories of heaven everywhere we go. That's what the ministry of reconciliation does to us, that it changes us and then commissions us to live in such a way that shines the light of heaven. We do what we do with our lives to cry out to a lost and dying world as to where our hope and life and love can be found. And it can be found in the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. But let's just be honest with each other. We've already admitted it a couple times, but living like Christ in a sin-cursed world can be hard sometimes, can it? So we must call upon the power of the Lord in prayer to apply His love. This week, in all likelihood, you're going to be tempted to not act in love. Someone's going to push your buttons. 
And the idea of loving them like Christ loved us is going to go out the window. But this is where the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer must be real in our lives. In that moment, this is the challenge of, of living out the love that God has given us to each other as the church gathered, but also as the church scattered, that we would live out that love to display Christ and reveal the glory of God even when it's hard. And when it's hard, here's what we must do. We must stop and pray for the Lord to empower us to live for Him, that we would live in love even when it's difficult, to know the power of Christ and live in it. Would you join me in prayer now as we ask the Lord to to do that for us? Lord, we are so thankful to your, for your love that's been given to us and shown to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thank you that on the cross of Calvary, your love was on full display. Lord, thank you for choosing us as your believers to be your ambassadors. Lord, what an incredible honor that you, you didn't just save us, but you also have saved us and, and commissioned us to the glorious work of being ambassadors of your heavenly kingdom. But Lord, we know that this week that there's a very good chance that we're going to face difficult situations, difficult people, and even wrestle with our own flesh at times and want to do what we want to do instead of letting the love of Christ control us. Lord, we're asking that you would help us even now to know your love in an even greater way so that we're motivated to live for your glory alone as we strive for the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, I I also ask that if there is someone here present under the sound of my voice, whether they're here present or watching online, if they don't know your love, if they've never been reconciled to you, if they still are living in their trespasses and sins, that today would be the day that they would know the saving power of your love that you would call them to yourself, that they would see their trespasses against you and ask you to forgive them so as to exchange accounts and receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be reconciled to you. But Lord, we ask again as your children, as believers in Jesus Christ, that you would help us see everyone through the lens of eternity that we would no longer consider anyone according to the flesh, but instead we would see them as you will us to see them. I pray for our church, Lord, that as the gathering here, the gathered saints at Crossbridge, that this year we would strive to love each other in such a way that the gospel is made visible to the world around us, that we would love and care for each other in such an incredible way that the world would want to know what makes us so different and strange. Lord, we're asking that you would let love reign among us. 
We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.